Daniel chapter 1, let me just take this opportunity to thank so many of you that worked hard to make Resurrection Sunday last week a great success. Many of you I know invited friends and family and co-workers and neighbors and, and uh, it was wonderful to meet so many guests and many of you invited people and maybe they didn't come. I want you to know you can feel really thankful in your heart that you had an opportunity to be obedient to the Lord in that regard and so we leave all of that in the Lord's hands but we had a great weekend and uh, so many of you helped to uh, really uh, bring that to pass. Uh, Daniel chapter 1 is where our study is going to begin, and many of you know I've been sharing that we're beginning a new sermon series today, a new ter- uh, teaching series, and, and uh, it's been on my mind for some time to teach what I'll be teaching over these next several weeks. In fact, it's been on my mind for a couple years. I could go back in my files when I was kind of making notes to self, things I'd like to teach, things I'd like to get around to sharing with our church family. And what really brought this to the forefront of my mind was a conversation I had recently. And the conversation I had recently got my attention because it was one of a bunch of conversations I had that were all very, very similar. And I believe any time as a pastor, I can take the Word of God and address the very issues that we're having in our conversations that a good thing has taken place. And and I've had many, many conversations that, that have been opportunities for people to share things like this, sentiments like this. Man, the world's really a mess. Things seem to be getting worse. It seems harder and harder for people to live the Christian life. I've, I've been told many times, you know, the way things are getting, I fear even for my children or even for my, my grandchildren. And I'm not here today to say that those sentiments are, are wrong. I don't want to be dismissive there. And, and the fact is, many of those sentiments are based in reality. I think you'd have to have your head in the sand, your eyes willfully closed, and I take note that we're living in a very unusual time. Things are changing at such a rapid, rapid pace. There clearly is a sense in which these are tough times, and there clearly is a sense in which living the life of a Christian is difficult in this day. Robert Nicholson of the Phylos Project said recently in the news, he said this, there are many places on earth where being a Christian is the most dangerous thing you can be. You see, Christianity is under attack in, in, in so many, many ways. In January of this year, in Italy, a, a place that studies world religions and, and kind of gets all the trends and how are they doing and what is the health and so forth, uh, they, they made this statement. They, they said that last year 90,000 Christians were killed while they're practicing their faith. Another 600,000 were prevented from freedom of worship. And the conclusion was this, that Christians are actually the most persecuted people in all of the world. I mean, that's a finding. You just take the empirical data, you can come to a very sound conclusion. These are unique times for people who would at least profess to want to live in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. We'd love to think that we're immune to that in America, but as we know, we are not. We're living in a day and age where tolerance is kind of the buzzword, but it seems many times, to me at least, that many of those who talk about tolerance are the very least tolerant. I mean, even in our state this week, we've seen an institution that should be standing for the First Amendment telling people to be quiet if you disagree with me. And even we see people labeling things in this way, that the, the First Amendment shouldn't protect people from hate speech, and then they want to define what hate speech is. And friends, I want you to know that many of those that are pushing this agenda would define the teachings of the Word of God as hate speech today. These are really weird times in which we're living. But the issue runs even deeper than that. Many Christians are sensing that what happens around us is somehow more important than what's happening on the inside of us. 
that we can judge the, the health of a culture, the health of a family, the health of even our own lives by what's going on around us. That's how we tell how things are, by, by what's happening on the outside of us. It's the idea that pressure and problems and in very severe situations, persecution can somehow prevent us from living a fulfilled life and, and a life of faith and faithfulness to God. And I want you to know today that is just simply not true. That's not the case. Just because we cannot control our circumstances does not mean that our circumstances have to control us. You can rise above. You can rise above. I want you to know today that people of faith have thrived for God in every conceivable situation, in every conceivable place, and in every conceivable moment in the history of the world. I'm talking about people who've endured many problems and yet they stood strong in their lives. In short, I'm talking about people who learned to rise above. Now last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday and we rejoiced in the reality that Jesus Christ, God the Son, He rose above sin, death, hell, and the grave. Everything that the world, the flesh, and the devil could throw at Jesus, everything they threw on Him couldn't keep Him down. He rose again. And, and as we get into this study, I want to share with you that because Jesus rose again, we in life can rise above. Those things that would seem to hold us down and prevent us, they, they are items that we can rise above. And to serve as an example, we're going to study the life of a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Daniel. And Daniel lived a remarkable life. Obviously, I won't tell the entire story today, but as a teenage boy, the nation in which he lived, Israel, was totally conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And under the leadership of the Babylonian king, a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, the command was given that the, that the young men, the, the, the best and brightest of the young men, were to be brought back to Babylon so that they could there serve as a king. Babylon is in modern-day Iraq. I'd imagine we have some uh, military guys in our church who've even been to these very places we'll be talking about in this series. And, and the Bible tells us that when these younger men were brought back to Babylon, that they were placed in indoctrination camps, places where they were given new names, they were given new jobs, they were given new diets in some cases. And Daniel was one of these young men. He was taken away from his homeland, and he was living a as a captive. He was separated from his family. He was living in an intimidating environment. And the sole purpose of his captors was to shape Daniel after their image. And I'm sure that many who love Daniel would have thought when this was all happening, there's no hope for him now. He certainly can't have a fulfilling life now. He'll probably never be happy again. He'll certainly not live for God in Babylon. But that's not what happened. What we find is that he was a man of great character. He didn't just survive in Babylon, he thrived in Babylon. He, he, he arrived at the age of 15. He went on to serve three or four different kings, leading two of them to faith in God. He had a remarkable life, and for the next 70 years, he faithfully served God and was a benefit to the community in which he lived. And at the end of his journey, he's the number two most powerful man in the most powerful empire in all of the world. He's a case in point for what it means to rise above in life. He lived in tough times, but what was happening on the end inside of him was more important than what was happening around him on the outside of him and because of Daniel's example we can know that we have victory in our lives and we can know what it is to have families and careers and more that rise above now a series like the one we're going to get into is going to require me to take some time to set the stage 
We're not going to get to all the answers today. In a sense, we may present the questions today. And for that reason, I want to encourage you guys to stick with me over these next several weeks as we go through this study. Because we're going to unearth some truths in the Word of God that are so powerful that we will all be instructed and we'll understand where the power will come that will allow us to rise above when it seems as though life wants to keep us down. If you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And uh, I told you guys last week I got new glasses. I'm going to try them out here this morning, see how that goes. Oh, there's those words. I've had a hard time seeing them lately. All right, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, I'm going to read on, but we meet here Jehoiakim. It says king of Judah. And uh, yet, I told you that Daniel was from Israel. At this time, Israel was a divided nation. There was a southern and a northern kingdom, and, and, and this is the northern kingdom, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried in the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. I want us to take some time this morning to consider this topic of rise above. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank and praise you for this morning, the opportunity we have to open your word. And Lord, in many ways, we're studying a text that is ancient, but the, the truths here could not be more relevant or necessary for us today. And so I pray that our hearts would be open and that we would learn, we'd understand, we would grow. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I think it'd really be hard for us to fathom how discouraging this moment was for people of Jewish ancestry. We know that they were living in the land, and the story begins with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, his armies are at Jerusalem, and the Bible says that Jerusalem was besieged. That, that is a word we find in verse 1, and besiege is kind of like having a stranglehold around the city. It means they cut all the roots going in and out, off. They couldn't get resources, and, and when that happened, it would have had a massive impact on these people. First of all, they would have felt just enormous fear. They would have felt fear, seeing this mighty army out there, knowing that help could not get in, that no one could get out. Fear would have been there, but in time that fear would have been replaced with just grief. They would have known, we've lost, we, we are not going to win this, there's no getting out of this, we, we have been defeated. In verse 2 we read this, and I'd like for you to look there again with me if you would please. The Bible says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, I want you to listen to the words that we read here because the Bible tells us that it was the Lord that gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. 
These people would have known that. We're in a mess right now, and it is God who's given us over to this other kingdom. And they knew in their hearts, they couldn't blame God, they couldn't get bitter against God. This was God judging them because they had willfully walked away from Him. And so here they are in this horrible situation with an awareness that we are in a mess that we've created. God is doing this because He said if we go the wrong way, the result will be we're going to live in captivity. In captivity. To make matters worse, we read that Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had the vessels of the house of God carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. This was a way for the Babylonians to say, our God's better than your God. Look what we did. We came in, we wiped you out, we decimated your land, and we took all the stuff you used in worshiping your God, and we brought that back to our place, and we're going to use it as we worship our God. This would have totally devastated the psyche of these people. There's no way around it. They were down. They were defeated. But even early on in this narrative, we find some truths that we're going to need to take with us through this series. That they're points that you will need in your life. You will absolutely need what we're going to learn in the course of this series. And to set the stage to get us started today, I want us to begin, and if your notes are nearby, I want us to really take a look at three principles that can be gleaned from the opening of, of this story here's the first one that you'll find in your notes expect the unexpected be surprised but not shocked expect the unexpected be surprised but don't be shocked now i want us to get the backstory and and to get the backstory on how this all began we could go back in our mind's eye to a prophet who preached to these people before they were conquered it was a prophet in the bible by the name of isaiah and isaiah talked to these people when they were still living in their homeland thinking all was fine that that everything was going to be okay there was a prophet saying look if you guys don't change your ways it's going to get bad around here i'm telling you if things aren't made right it's going to be horrible in fact in isaiah chapter 5 in verse 20 we find the preaching of isaiah to these very people who were later taken captive he said woe unto them now i'm going to read on but that word woe here we'll just go ahead and define it as to be totally defeated to be put down all right he said woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So the prophet of God is saying, listen, let me tell you guys what you're doing. You've turned everything upside down. The very most vile things humanity can conceive of, you're calling that good. And the good things of God, you're saying, well, that's bad. And the prophet said, what's going to happen if you persist in turning things uh, the opposite of how God has intended? It's going to lead to your woe. It's going to lead to your defeat. It's going to lead to devastation in your life. There were other prophets in, in this time who were contemporaries who were also preaching these things to the people. Prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zephaniah. They preached to that nation. And here was their message to the nation. Guys, if you don't change your ways, if you don't get back to the ways of God, you're going to be defeated. And Daniel no doubt would have heard this type of preaching as a young man. No doubt Daniel would have been aware, aware of what it was that the prophets of God were saying. Here's the point I want us to get from this. God told them that some heat was coming if they did not change their way. And when the heat came, they really didn't need to be shocked because God told them that's what would happen if they didn't change. You know, our trials in life come for many reasons 
They come from many places. And they're often surprising. But it might be helpful to know today that they do not need to be shocking. We don't need to be shocked when difficulty comes. Now, for us, it may not be because we're a nation and we've rebelled against God. I mean, there are going to be times where you're going to be going along in life and you're going to be doing your best to do your best and still something will uh, seem to uh, blindside you, so to speak. But, but I want you to know one message we glean from this is that in life we, we can be surprised, but we don't need to be shocked. Peter one time wrote this in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you heat comes into our lives peter calls it here fiery trials and he says this brethren speaking to christians he said don't think it's a strange thing when adversity comes into your life when these fiery trials come into your life he said it's not strange yes it's surprising when it comes up but it doesn't need to shock us because i'm telling you up front times are coming into all of our lives how many of you believe what jesus has to say good jesus said this in john 16 these things I've written unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world, that's where we're living, in the world ye shall, that word means no doubt about it, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now listen, this is not a negative message and this is not a negative series. If, if you really listen to what Jesus said, you heard him say this, tribulation in life is a guarantee, but because of me, you can rise above. He said, I've overcome, I've, I've risen again from the dead, and, and, and you can rise above these things that come into our life. This entire study will be supremely uplifting and supremely optimistic. Years ago, Lisa and I went through a, like a personal finance course our church offered, and we just took it as students and it was very helpful to me and I remember that the teacher he he was talking about the fact that we need to be prepared for things that are coming up and and uh, he, he said this he said you know your car is going to break down it's going to break down just just go ahead and be ready for that just start planning now rather than waiting for your car to break down and think oh man what am I going to do to get my car fixed he said why don't you just save a little bit of money every month so that when the breakdown comes you'll have the wherewithal to fix it and the fact of the matter today is, if, if your car broke down on the way home from church, it would be surprising. But it doesn't have to be shocking. Cars break down. Your car will break down. And today, I'm not giving you a message say, saying we need to live lives of, of paranoia. We need to be worried. We need to be oppressed by all of this. But I'm saying that one of the great lessons we learn from the life of Daniel is the reality that into our lives, things come. Fiery trial comes. Heat comes. And when the heat comes into our lives, what we need to do is say, God, by your grace, help me to have a margin. God, help me to live in such a way that when those surprises come, they don't need to shock me. They can help me to... Put into practice what you've been teaching me along the way. You see, Daniel was a man who had character that was developing one step above the trials that came to his life. So when the heat came, he would be able to respond with wisdom. Expect the unexpected. Here's the second truth this morning. I want you to know that God can use adversity to shape us. Usually when adversity comes to our lives, we respond by asking a question, and almost all the time it's the same question. We ask why. Why? And there are many reasons for that question being asked, but I believe one of the reasons is because we're more interested in finding blame than solving the problem. We kind of want to get to the root. Why, why did this happen? And can I tell you today that if you're trying to fix blame, you're not going to be fixing problems? 
As we continue this study, we're going to find from time to time, we're going to wonder, God, why did you let that happen? And in our own lives, we're going to wonder, God, why? And why is a question we can't ask. I'm not here today to say we can't ask why, but I want you to know there's a better question to ask first. And it's the question, what? And by that, I mean, God, what can I learn through this? What can I glean through this? God, what lesson do you have for me in the midst of this? Now, next week, we're going to get to know this young man uh, named Daniel. At the age of 15, he didn't know much, but he knew one thing. He knew God. And that one thing that he knew was the one thing he needed to know to go through the first trial that he was going to encounter as as he went into Babylon. And listen, what shaped Daniel for the future were the various trials that he'd gone through in the course of his past. And God absolutely can use our pain for our gain. Don't waste a trial by going through it just angry and looking to place blame and wondering, who did this? Who can I be mad at? Go through the the fiery trials, the heat that comes into our lives, saying, God, what do you have for me to learn in this? How can I grow through this? God, what lesson? is there for me here god says this in jeremiah 29 he says for i know the thoughts that i think towards you saith the lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end listen let me tell you what god does as a loving father he uses the updraft from the heat the heat comes down and it creates that updraft that enables us to rise again to rise above listen There's no trial through which you'll go, no trial through which you go that can hold you down unless you just concede and let it happen. Our God is so great that he's already seen the end. He knows where he's going. And when these twists and turns come to our life, he gives us the ability by his grace to to rise above them. I I think of another experience that really illustrates this. And it happened in the lives of these Jewish people. And and again, about 850 years before this time, they were leaving Egypt. They just finished up about 440 years living in bondage. And as they leave Egypt, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing in God. And then they begin to waver in their faith. They begin to doubt God. They began to go opposite to the word of God. And for that reason, the Bible tells us they spent the next 40 years just wandering, meandering aimlessly through the desert. But did you know that even in that difficult season, God was teaching them? He was helping them. It seemed like a waste, but it was not a waste. They could have wasted it, but God was investing in them. In Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, the Bible gives us a picture of what all happened there. It says it this way, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. God says, listen, you were wandering through the wilderness, and I want you to know that heat, that trial, that adversity, it wasn't wasted because in the midst of all of that wandering, there was a work of humbling that was taking place. There was a proving taking place. There was knowledge that was being gleaned. God can use adversity to mold our lives and to shape our lives and to prepare us for things that are coming next that we don't even know about. God can use adversity to shape us. The final principle that I'll leave with you today is this, decisions determine destinies decisions determine destinies solomon one time wrote this in proverbs 20 he said a man's goings are of the lord how can a man then understand his own way did you know how empty it it is for us to really try to forecast what all is going to happen in the future man's goings are of the lord and the reality of life is that we will often encounter difficulties that are beyond our understanding but when we trust god 
what happens is we can learn to respond correctly when the heat comes. I once heard responsibility defined this way. It's our response to his ability. That's our responsibility. No matter what it is we're going through, no matter how hard it seems to be in that moment, we need to respond according to his ability, according to his wisdom, according to his power. Not in our own strength or in our own wisdom. We need to respond to God. People of faith have the capacity then to take a big problem and make it smaller by the way they respond. And we're going to see through this study that Daniel was repeatedly faced with difficult situations. But rather than stress out and react without thinking, he had a heart that said, God, in this situation, I didn't ask for this situation. I didn't order this situation. This situation wasn't my greatest hope or desire. But God, in this situation, what would you have me to do? He understood something. Decisions determine destinies. Now, I, I don't know what it is in your life that, that you, you need to rise above today, but, but I know this, it, it might be in your marriage. You say, you know, it's, it's, it's down right now. We, we need to rise above. Maybe it's in your parenting, discouragement. Maybe it's even an adult child that, that you would say it would be wayward in their life. Maybe it's a career dilemma. Uh, I want you to know we have a God who's big enough that in every area of our lives, through the wisdom found in his word and through the Holy Spirit working in our lives, he can help us to know how we can rise above those things that would hold us down. People who have studied eagles have been really surprised at all the different things they do so well. Pilots have reported seeing them flying 15,000 feet, just nothing to them. They can fly for hours seemingly without any effort at all. Then they got those radar-like eyes, and, uh, uh, you know, from way up high in the sky, they can look down and see their prey. I mean, sometimes they'll even see a fish in a lake or in a river, and uh, they'll swoop down, and when they're diving, they're diving about 200 miles an hour. I mean, it's just unbelievable the way God made these incredible birds. They're just amazing, amazing Creatures. And people have wondered, how can they do all the aerial acrobatics that they can do? How, how is it that they are, are so adept at that? And, and physicists have discovered eagles and, and how they work. They do it by a process that has been called thermal flying. Thermal flying. And, and typically, this is the way it works. The, the, the heat comes from the sun. It, it hits the earth, and when it hits the earth, the layer just above the earth begins to heat up. And when it heats up that way, that's conduction. And it kind of creates a, a little bubble, if you would, a little pocket of, of heat. So the heat comes down, and it makes a little, a little pocket or a little bubble. And heat, as we know, then begins to rise once again. And, and as that rises, it repeats a process. And they call that process intervals. Intervals. So it's the heat beneath the eagle that provides them the wherewithal to leverage it so they can go to heights that before they wouldn't have been able to go. If I could get a bird in here, an eagle, and inter interview it. Just imagine, I have an eagle here, and I'm talking to this eagle. Say, hey, uh, why don't you tell everybody in this room, how is it you can fly so high and so fast and do those incredible things you do? That eagle would say, well, it's all because of the heat that God brings into my life. It comes from above, and it seems to surround me at times, but it's that heat that when it hits the surface of the earth, it creates the very atmosphere that then enables me to go places that without it, I never could have gone. And friends, Listen, uh, we're going to get to how this all works in time, but I want you to leave here today knowing that we've got a great God. 
And he's got a great plan, not just for Daniel's life, but for all of our lives. And God in his sovereignty and God in his providence and God in his wisdom can allow various trials from various sources at various times in our life to create the very atmosphere that is necessary for us to rise above. I mean that it's the difficulty in a marriage that you can look back on and say we're better now because of that. It's the hardship and the heartache in parenting that you can learn from and grow through to look back on and say that was a pivotal moment. God is so good and so kind and so gracious that he can take a devastating scenario like being a captive for Daniel and use that as the very wherewithal to rise him up in the span of 70 years to become the number two most powerful man in the most powerful empire in all of the world. There's something wrong when Christians want to get together and talk about how bad things are in the sense that that's going to limit our fulfillment in life, our joy in the Lord, or what God can do through us. It just may be that God's going to send some heat our way because he loves us enough to create that atmosphere we need to say, God, what do I do in this situation? God, I don't want to respond rashly. I don't want to respond without, without thought. God, in, in faith, based on your wisdom from your word, would you then instruct me to know how to respond to this? And friends, when that's our heart and mind, look out. We're getting ready to rise above. When we have that humility, that, that sense of awareness that understands, yet not I, but Christ which liveth in me. What happens is God can move into our life. He can move into the situation that is causing the fear. And through faith, God can use that as the fulcrum from which he lifts us up to greater heights. Oh, listen, in weeks to come, we're going to find out how this was done. But if we don't first believe that God can do all things... I could talk for the next several weeks about how to do it, but if we don't believe that God can allow us to rise above, if we don't believe that, we're not going to really have much care as to how God says it can all happen. Again, I don't, I don't want to be uh, dismissive of what you're going through, but I wonder today, do you believe that fact that God in your life can take the trials through which we go to teach us to rise above? Our Father, we are thankful today for the truth of your word. We're thankful for the power of your word. And Lord, we're thankful for a life like Daniel's that we can learn from. And again, Lord, I just pray that you'd open our hearts to have the faith to begin to understand that, that you can use these times. And God, in the weeks to come, as we get into really the nitty-gritty of, of this entire story, I, I pray that we would be quick to learn and to put things to practice in our lives. Lord, so many Christians today are down and discouraged and depressed. And the way we live, you would think we never knew Easter Sunday happened. But God, help us to know that because you rose again, we can rise above. And I pray that joy and encouragement and victory would fill our hearts, not in the, in the sense that we're trusting in self, but in the awareness that you are God and you can do anything. Lord, how we need you today.